We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Read Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord God, would You teach us today that knowing You produces a life that pleases You. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As Paul prays today, the first thing that jumps off of the page, the first thing that we see in verse 9 is that he prays that we be filled with the knowledge of God, that we be filled with the knowledge of God. Now, you'll remember from last week, let's just do a little bit of background. Remember that Paul had never been to Colossae, but he had heard about these people and heard about this church and heard about how they got radically saved, but he had also heard that there were some potential problems. You remember last week that I told you that he was writing this letter as a preventative letter, that they hadn't adopted false doctrine, that they hadn't bought into bad theology, but they were in danger because there were false teachers on the brink. And some of these false teachers were teaching what is known as from, from a Greek mythology or a Greek philosophy that taught that there had to be this form of gnosis, the word Greek word for gnosis, that means knowledge. And that to be saved, you had to have this special knowledge or this extra knowledge. You had to have special revelation, that you had to have special insights, and you needed to have new visions, and you need to have special dreams. And in addition to the gospel, you had to have this deeper, keener insight. Well, the problem with that is these people claim to have had it. Well, if I claim to have had it and you haven't had it, then if we're not careful, then we'll elevate those people that have made those claims to higher status. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the church, we've given a heretic or someone with false theology greater authority than we ever should have. And the problem is then and today, because you see this, even as I was describing it, some of you might have been asking, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like 2,000 years ago. That seems like right now. It's amazing how history repeats itself. And we live in a day right now in which people are saying all the time that you need to have a fresh word, right? A new revelation, that you need to have had a private vision, that you need to have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you need to have an insight that is greater than just what the gospel can give. And we understand that when Paul writes, he said, I'm not just praying that you have a knowledge or a gnosis of the word. The word he uses here is the word epinosis or a full knowledge or a full understanding of the will of God. Because Paul's understanding is that once you know God through the person and work of Christ, that you know him in the deepest and fullest way possible. Once you know God through Christ, that is the deepest sense of knowing the Lord, and it is the greatest desire for any individual or any church. And so that's what Paul prays. So when we get right down to it, I ask you a question, do you know God? 
But we need to ask a foundational question. And maybe it is that you're brand new in church. Maybe you're one of our four-year-olds and this is your, one of your first times that you're in big church. And I'm, I'm so happy you're here. Maybe you're a third grader today and sometimes you're like, that brother Larry talks for a long time. I get it. Maybe you're in high school and you stayed up way too late last night. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I should have had another cup of coffee. I want to talk to you for just a moment because I need you to know something and I need you to be able to answer a question. This question pertains to those in here who are eight years old and those that are 88 years old. And here's the question. I told you if someone were to ask you, do you know God, that you need to know how to answer that question. But here's a second question. If someone were to ask you, why are you here? Why are you here? Now, I don't just mean at church, or I just don't mean when you're at school or at an athletic event. I mean, why are you on earth? Why were you born? What were you made to do? What were you made for? How would you answer that question? What is the very purpose of your life? You see, we live in a world in which very few people can define that. In fact, most people have spent a lot of their lives trying to define that in ways that they have found incredibly disappointing. I could use thousands of examples of people who have found millions, if not billions in wealth, and at the end of it, they have found themselves depressed and anxious and unfulfilled. I can name you people that have chased pleasure with every drug and every sex act under the sun, and at the end of it, they feel empty and they feel unsatisfied. I could name athletes who have been sitting with Super Bowl championships and and at the end of that, looking at that and wondering, is this all there is? Is this all there could be? Because all of them were unable to answer the question. They thought it was going to be pleasure, or they thought it was going to be money, or they thought it was going to be success. So I'm telling you today, whether you're four and this is your very first time in church, or whether or not you've been a thousand times, you need to know what you're here for. And you need to know that the answer to life's greatest question is a very, very simple answer. Why are you here? You are here to know God and to be known by God. You are here to know God and to be known by God. Now, sometimes I think when we say that, we don't understand how the, the incredible nature of that statement, that knowing God is a thrill and that it's life's greatest pleasure and that ignorance of God is what lies at the greatest root of, our, of the church's apathy and the church's complacency. And so I wonder when we think about God as a church, when you think about God individually, do you have great thoughts of God? When you think about the Lord, do you magnify Him? When, when God comes to your mind, what is it that we think about? Because far too often, we've spent trying to look at God and trying to bring Him down to size. We've tried to manage it in a way that we could fit it into a compartment of our lives, and we talk about our church life, and we talk about our spiritual life, and then we talk about every other facet of our life. And I think for far too long I misunderstood this in my own life, and I wish there was a student that got this. I, I wish there were just a few high school students that got this. I wish there were a few adults that got this. That when you think about knowing God, and when you think about your spiritual life, that there are no compartments. There's not an academic life, an athletic life, and a spiritual life, and a vocational life, and your life of hobbies, that it's all a spiritual life, and that knowing God should dominate every other aspect of your life. It all fits under that. So it's not 
that when I say knowing God, it's not that you would quit every other activity in your life. It's that in every other activity of your life, it ought to be veiled in the purpose of knowing Him through that and expressing His glory through it and understanding Him more and more. That's what Paul means when he says not only that we would know Him, verse 9, but that we'd be filled of the knowledge of His will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's nothing more practical than knowing God. I guess throughout a lot of my life, I, I tended to see it like that that was a part of what I needed to do. And if I could check off that box, check off that part, I could pursue everything else as long as that little Tupperware compartment was there. But when the driving force of your life becomes knowing God, then everything else falls into place. And the reason that so many people are so desperate and unhappy is because of idolatry. And when I say idolatry, I mean that knowing anything else takes place over knowing God. But if knowing God takes place first, then everything else falls into its rightful place. But, but we also have to ask another question. If you say, Larry, I do want to know God, I, th that is a goal of my life, to know God and to be known by God, then the follow-up question I think ought to be, what is your goal in knowing God? What is your goal in, in knowing Him and knowing about Him? And, and, and in addition to that, what do you intend to do with that knowledge? I want to be very careful that we understand two different sides. And there are people in every church and all around the world that fit into one of these two categories, and they're both incredibly dangerous. And one group is the group that says, oh, I got saved a long time ago. I got saved at VBS when I was like nine. I got saved a long time ago, and so I know God, and that's good for me. I mean, I've been forgiven. I've trusted God. That, that's really all I need to know. I know enough. The people with that attitude scare me. And here is why. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've experienced the grace of God truly and been redeemed and been brought into this kingdom of light and had the inheritance of the saints that's been blessed to you, it's not that you're going to say, hey, you know what, that's good enough for me. It's going to be that I've scratched the surface of knowing God, so because I have, I want to know Him more. I want to experience Him more. I want to know Him more. So you've got a group of people that think just because they've made a decision that they know God well enough. Friends, I question whether you even know God if that's where you are. But then there's a second group of people that are equally as dangerous. And you know these people. It is the Pharisees that are in all types of religious organizations. It is the people that want to know for knowledge's sake. It is that they want to know all they can about God. But I want to tell you, you can know about God and not know God. You can know all about God and not know God. What do I mean by that? When you truly look at it, the Pharisees, they knew way more about the Old Testament than I'll ever know about the Old Testament. They knew more about the law and the Torah, and they didn't know God. Jesus was very clear on that. And that's possible today to have assembled a large knowledge of facts. And if your motive is not right, then what Paul says in Corinthians is that knowledge puffs up. That means it can make you arrogant. It can make you proud. It can make you conceited. So 
the goal of my knowing God is not so I would know more than you do or know more than you do. My no goal of knowing God is so that I would know Him. And when you really know Him, that doesn't cause you to be proud. The people that I know that really know God are not people that walk around trying to prove themselves and how knowledgeable they are of Scripture. It's people that because they know Him are so humbled by that that they have found themselves wondering why God would ever let them know Him, why they've ever experienced Him. So a true knowledge of God is not that you have enough of it, and it's certainly not that it would puff you up, but a true knowledge of God brings you to a place of humility. So we seek to understand Him. And when we seek to understand Him, then our lives are conformed by Him. But if we really know God, if we really, really know God, you say, this is really making me think a little bit. Help me understand, if I really knew God, what would be some evidences of that? How would I be able to tell? Now, I'm sure we could make a very long list, but I've made a very short list because I think these are incredibly obvious. But if you know God, there's a few things that I think are going to flesh themselves out. Number one, you're going to have a great energy and boldness for God. In other words, you're actually going to care about God. You're going to be energetic and thoughtful about it. And you say, well, are, are you sure about that? I'm positive about that. Things that I know about, I'm excited about. Things that I enjoy, I'm, I'm excited about. So the first thing to think about an evidence of whether you know God is, first of all, do you really have an energy for God? Do you have a boldness for God? Secondly, this is so simple. This is just absolutely simple. How often do you think about the Lord? When you think about the Lord, shouldn't be just during a quiet time. It shouldn't just be during a worship service. His thoughts of God should dominate your life. And then number three, do you find contentment in the Lord? Do you find true joy and contentment in the Lord? So as you think through those questions... Maybe it is that some of you have asked yourself, okay, I do, I, I want to know God and I want to know Him more. I want verse 9 to really characterize my life. I want to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, then what do I need to do? Give me some, there, there's nothing more practical than knowing God. So what do I need to do? Now, again, we could make a huge list, but there are two non-negotiables absolute non-negotiables to seeking God and to knowing God. N number, number one, number one, I think we need to approach the Lord with so much humility, realizing what we don't know. If you are going to the Lord with any form of pride, then you're missing it. But we go to the Lord and we recognize, I need to know more about you. So we go with a great deal of humility, number one. But number two, we seek Him. We actually look for the Lord. We seek the Lord. God is not hiding from you. If you want to experience the Lord, you can experience the Lord. So do you want to know God? You say, I, I want to understand better about my own life, about whether or not I really am knowing the Lord and growing in my knowledge of God. I think that's a great thing to think about. But there's a couple of things that I don't want you to measure your relationship with God by. Two things that you are not going to measure your relationship with God by because this is dangerous. 
And the first is this. Don't measure your relationship with God by how much service you do for God. That is a great danger, and I'm confessing. I guess I'm talking to me, and then maybe it'll bleed over a little bit to you. My job is to serve the Lord in certain capacities, to preach the Word of God and to try to care for people and to try to lead the church of God. So it is very tempting at times to think about my knowledge of God and equate that with my service for God. But I want to tell you that you cannot serve God enough to get to know Him. Your service must come from your knowledge of Him. Your knowledge of Him does not come from your service to Him. Does that make sense? So when you think about it, we don't think about, okay, well, I've done this, this, and this. You start with the knowledge of God or knowing Him, and that doesn't start at a place of service or counting your acts of service. But the second thing, the second thing I don't want you to measure it by is emotional experiences. Emotional experiences. We live in a world that will tell you that if you will get worked up, that if you will laugh and cry and stomp around, that somehow you can equate that with spirituality. Now, we'll tell you that the Bible tells us that we're to love the Lord our God with what? All our heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's every aspect, correct? That is every aspect of our being. So today, I want you to think about for just a moment, when we talk about loving the Lord with our mind, that's our understanding. But loving the Lord with our heart, it does need to involve your emotions. If you've never got emotional about the Lord, then it may be that you don't know Him. But if everything about your knowledge of God goes back to emotion, then that's dangerous. And we see that all the time. This is a powerful song that we just sang just a little bit, a little bit ago. As I looked around, there were choir members that were crying. Some of you had tears that were running down your cheeks. Praise God, because probably when you speak the name of Jesus, maybe some of you remembered what happened when you spoke His name. When He saved you, I pray that's why it was emotional. But you do not know God because you got emotional. You got emotional because you know God. Do you see the difference? And if everything in our spirituality, and young people have got to hear this too, we can't wait on the next emotional experience. Well, I'll get closer to God when we get to youth camp. I'll get closer to God when we get to disciple now. I've got to say that I want to constantly be looking at my knowledge of God and my growing of God. That this isn't about just waiting to Sunday and, and waiting to Wednesday or getting up and doing a quiet time. That I'm always looking at what that looks like to continually grow. And if I'm continually growing, then what we also know is that knowing God means that God has to allow us to know Him. Let me give you, explain this, what I'm talking about. The only reason you know God at all is because God lets you know Him. God was under no obligation in and of Himself to allow you to know Him, but He allowed you to. I can tell you, and I don't, I don't want to embarrass her, it's just the truth. I can tell you when I was 15 years old, the very first time that I saw my wife. I can remember where I was standing. I can tell you the dress that she had on. I can tell you the piece of jewelry that she was wearing. I can tell you how her hair was done. I can tell you everything about it. I can tell you that the moment I saw her, I wanted to get to know her. Right? But there was something contingent on that. I could want to get to know her all I wanted, but she had to in turn let me get to know her and want to get to know me. You understand? 
it was two, it, it's a two-way relationship how that goes. In your relationship to God, I want you to understand how much of a miracle it is that God wants to be known by you, that God allows himself to be known by you, that God exposes his character and his attributes to you and allows you to know him. What a privilege it is to be known and to know God. So when Paul explains this, he explains it in a way that helps us to see that knowledge of God is not just something that we know inside our mind, but it actually does something to us because knowledge and conduct are inseparably bound together. So what you see next in these next few verses are, if I know God, if I truly understand God, if I have the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, then there are going to be some things that take place in my life. And I want you to see these. They're, they're very simple. The second thing is that you would bear fruit and continually grow. Look at verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. What does a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleases Him do? It bears fruit in every good work. So you are bearing fruit, continually growing. We hear about that all the time. What does it look like to bear fruit? There's a lot of things that it probably looks like, but I want to give you a few non-negotiables. If you're bearing fruit, number one, you'll have a love for the Word of God. You are not growing in your relationship with the Lord if you're not in the Word and you don't care about being in the Word. Number two, that you are obeying the Lord. There should be conviction on your life, and because of that conviction, you should be obeying that conviction. You're going to be growing in faith, you ought to be growing in love. Bear fruit and continually grow. Number three, number three, when you're filled with the knowledge of God, it also tells us, verse 11, watch what it says, that you will be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, that you would be strong in endurance and patience. Number three, that you would be strong in endurance and patience. Now, some of you over here, you're in an English class right now, and you're probably learning about synonyms. And when you look on the screen, endurance and patience sound like synonyms, don't they? Those are words that are very closely related, yet Paul uses both of them. That as he prays for them, that the more we know God, the more we can have endurance and the more we can have patience. It's important to point out the difference here. Endurance is that when you know God, you can deal with difficult circumstances. That problems are going to come your way, and the more I know of God, the more I'm able to deal with it. How many people in here have been through anything in your life that looking back on it, in the middle of it, you said, had it not been for my knowledge of God, had it not been for my relationship with God, I would never have been able to endure that. I would never have been able to get through that. I would never have persevered, but it was my knowledge of God that gave me the strength to be able to deal with it. That's endurance. Patience is a little bit different because patience is not about getting through situations and circumstance. Patience is about being able to deal with difficult people. So a knowledge of God not only helps me to get through difficult circumstances, a knowledge of God helps me to deal with problem people. How many of you have any of those in your life? 
Really? There are four people out of 600 that have problem people in your life. It's hard to believe. It, your life is full of them. Some of you are sitting by them. We're full of problem people. And because we're full of problem people, it requires a patience that's in our life. So if you put those two words together, endurance and patience, and we're going to be strong in there, what is Paul's message? That by knowing God, it would cause you to do what? Never, ever, ever give up. That I don't quit. That I don't have quit in me. That in following the Lord, I refuse to give up. And then number four, number four. Look at verses 12 through 14. Paul erupts and he says, I'm going to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. That you are to be thankful for your salvation, first of all, because God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. You know, when we think about what it means to inherit something, that means that you are going to give, be given something because of your place in the family. When you thank God for the inheritance that you have coming, it's because Romans says you have been adopted as a son and that no longer are you a hater of God, but you're a child of God or a friend of God. So that now I have an inheritance that is coming to me that is heaven itself. That is a reason to praise God. That is a reason to understand why you should be thankful for your salvation, right? But he also says, not only that are we thankful for our salvation, for qualifying us to share in the inheritance of the saints, but less than what he also says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Be thankful for your salvation, for qualifying us to share in the inheritance of the saints, but secondly, for rescuing you from the darkness and into the kingdom of the son. And then finally, the redemption through the forgiveness of sins. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you know God, if you know God, you should be overcome with gratitude and appreciation and praise, thankful for your salvation. So one more time. One more time. Do you know Him? Do you know God? I'm not asking you this morning if you know facts about God. I'm not asking you if you can quote Bible verses. I'm asking you, do you know Him? If you don't know Him, then today you ought to run to Him. Because He's not hiding from you and He wants to be known by you. But if you do know Him, if you really, really know Him, then I pray today that in this text you have been convicted that you ought to want to know Him more than you've ever known Him. Friends, I've got to tell you, the older I get, the more that I study, the more convinced I am that I have not even scratched the surface of knowing God. I want to know Him more because the greatest joy and peace that we'll ever find is in the knowledge of the Holy One and God Himself.